Please stand if you're able for a reading from God's holy word. Today's scripture reading is from Acts 9, 36 through 42. Please read with me the verses in bold. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I guess you don't want to stand throughout the teaching, apparently. That's, I didn't even get to offer the option to you. My name is Jeff. Uh, good to see all of you this morning, and welcome to you that are joining us online. Let's um, go before the Lord. Father, we thank you that through your Son we can call you Abba, Father. Lord, a term of profound intimacy. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you for sending your Son to die in our place, that we might live with you forever. Father, we pray that your Spirit would breathe life into all that takes place here today, that you would teach us, that you would encourage us, that you would comfort us, that you would challenge us, Lord, that you would make us a little more like your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So before we consider our text in Acts chapter 9, I'd like to take a brief look at a passage in Matthew's gospel. Um, if you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 25. Uh, Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. 
I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Now this scene that we're listening in on, this is the white throne judgment seat of God. And when Christ returns, when he comes again, and history as we know it is over, every person who has ever lived will be raised up to stand before Jesus Christ, the person who sits on this glorious throne. Now it can be difficult for us to get our minds around the sheer magnitude of this event that we see here. With every man, woman, and child, the entire human race throughout all of history, standing before the white throne judgment seat of God. But rather than focus on the, the intensity and the grandeur of this awesome scene, I'd like to instead just consider a very simple truth that's contained in Jesus' words here. And that is our Lord notices when we serve him in quiet ways, with minimal fanfare, such as giving food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, caring for a sick child, clothing the naked, visiting prisoners. Now, if you'll turn back to Acts chapter 9, we're going to take a brief look at a fellow believer of ours whose life, I believe, illustrates this principle. Now, as always, whenever we study God's Word, it's, it's important that we consider the context that we find it in. Uh, just a, a, a Bible study clue you can hang on to, and that is never, ever read a Bible verse. Never. Always read at least three. If you're studying a passage, you always want to consider the verse before it and after it, and it's even better to expand that. The further you do, the better you'll get a contextual feel for what you're, what you're reading. Now, another part of the context, the context we see here, is in Acts 9.31. And this is where we're told that so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So this was a time of peace for the early church. It was a time of being built up. Their numbers were increasing. Yet I think there's something going on here as well. And during this time of peace, God is preparing the church for the next big step. And that step in his plan is to take the gospel of grace to the Gentiles, to take it to every person on this planet. Now, also, as this is happening, the Apostle Peter is on a, a trip of sorts. He's traveling in various areas of Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and he's visiting several towns that the evangelist Philip had been to recently, and he's seeking in those towns, he's seeking to strengthen these new believers that Philip had led to Christ during this evangelistic crusade he'd been on. So the, the church is at peace at this time, it's growing, and as Peter's on his road trip, Luke takes us to the town of Joppa, and we'll pick up there in verse 36. 
Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. So we meet this woman, her, her name in Aramaic is Tabitha, or when you translate it into Greek, her name is Dorcas. Now, Chris poked a little fun at this earlier, and I think um, it's legitimate. Dorcas probably doesn't have a very attractive sound to any of us. I, I, I doubt there's too many parents in the room that chose to name their daughter Dorcas. But really, back in the time that this was written, Dorcas was a very beautiful name. When you translate it, it means gazelle. And so it was actually a very pretty name for a, a, a young woman to have. Now, in addition to her name, we learn more about Dorcas in verse 36. Luke identifies her as a disciple. Now, the word disciple means a follower of Jesus Christ. So we can know that many, many years ago, Dorcas is our sister in Christ. Now, we also read that she was full of good works and acts of charity. Now, when I first hear this, I think, okay, full of good works, acts of charity. Well, you go, girl. I mean, that's awesome. That's really, really good. But there's something more in Luke's description that both the King James and the New American Standard translations capture. Um, for some reason, the ESV translation takes a certain Greek word and they slide it forward into the next verse. But the King James and the NASB, the King James reads, the woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And the New American Standard says, this woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. Now think about those phrases, which she did, which she continually did. So not only is Dorcas full of good works and acts of charity in her heart, but she follows through and she does something about it. She does something about it, abounding with deeds and kindness and charity, which she continually did. Now I need to be reminded of that. I, I can be a great visionary at times. God can can lay a need on my heart. I can see someone that's hurting, or he can bring something to my heart, and compassion can well up within me by the Spirit of God. But if I don't seize that opportunity and reach out, if I don't act on that, I find myself later in the day thinking, I think you were talking to me earlier, Lord. Why didn't I do anything? Why didn't I try to touch that person and bring them comfort? Now, several years ago, it was a very, very hot Sacramento summer, and my wife, Karen, she was driving her car, and she was at the intersection of Watt and Folsom, and her car died, completely died. So she's at this intersection, and she's dead in the water. So she gets out of her car, it's 100 degrees out, and she's struggling trying to push her car through the intersection to get it out of the intersection and off the road. And there was roughly anywhere from 10 to 20 people sitting in their cars, most likely with their air conditioning running. And they're all watching her as she tries to push her car through the intersection. And um, I'm guessing that at least a few of them, they had compassion for her. Uh, they felt bad for her. They were maybe even rooting her on. And, and uh, yet, no one helped. And finally, she was about three-fourths of the way to her goal through the intersection, and finally a couple gentlemen got out of their cars, and they helped her push it the last few feet, which was, which was a blessing. 
But we see here that Dorcas, when she has compassion in her heart, she does something about it. She reaches out, this beautiful sister in the Lord, she takes that critical extra step of acting on that compassion and reaching out to the person in need. Now there in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. Verse 37, in those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. Now, Lydda is roughly 18 to 20 miles away from Joppa. It's not too far, but in those days, it's really not all that close either. Dorcas has died, and her closest family and friends, they've, they've washed her body with oil, washed her with water, and then they've placed her in the upper room where they can pay their last respects and process some of the grief that they're experiencing. Now, in our culture today, we're not all that comfortable with having a dead body around. I mean, the job of preparing a body for burial is usually delegated to the coroner or a funeral home or both. And the tendency in our world is to immediately, at least in our society here in the United States, is to immediately move that body out of sight and, and dealing with death the physical remains of the dead is not something we generally do in this culture, but it was not so with Dorcas's family and friends. I mean, what a beautiful, tender scene here. They, they wash her body with oil, and they wash it with water, and then they gently carry her upstairs, and they place her in that upper room. And apparently, Dorcas's passing had had quite an impact on the church at Joppa. As the, the surviving disciples, they decide that they could use the help of an apostle in dealing with their loss. So they had heard that Peter was in Lydda, and they sent two men to plead with him to come to Joppa right away. And Peter agrees to come. And in verse 39, we see what happens when he arrives. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. So Peter is led upstairs. He walks in on this scene of intense emotion. And Luke tells us that all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. So here we have a revelation of what was meant back in verse 36 when we were told that Dorcas was full of good works and acts of charity. So Dorcas had made clothing for the widows of Joppa, these poor widows who most likely would never be able to repay her. What a beautiful and needed ministry that our sister undertook. Now her ministry, it was quiet, it was a behind-the-scenes kind of service. And for all we know, apart from the widows whose life she, she directly impacted, we don't know, but chances are there weren't a lot of people that realized she was doing this. And it was just that kind of service that I believe our Lord mentioned in Matthew 25. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Now, I think it's worth noting also what Jesus didn't say in Matthew 25. He doesn't mention those kinds of ministries that are seen by many people in the church. He doesn't say, you taught the Bible to me. He doesn't say, you led me in worship. And I don't see anything here about prayer counselors or small group leaders. But at the white throne judgment in Matthew 25, Jesus is commending those simple and gentle gifts that often go unnoticed by so many of us. But our Lord does notice them, every one of them. And he's very pleased with them. I can easily imagine Jesus looking at Dorcas and saying, I was naked and you clothed me. So here's Peter. He's standing in the middle of these, these grieving widows. It's an incredibly emotional scene. These women have lost a sister who was very dear to them. And I love what he does in the first half of verse 40. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. Now, we've, we've all been at some point in those intense situations where we don't have a clue what to do or what to say. Maybe visiting a friend in the hospital, maybe trying to comfort a friend at a funeral. You can fill in the blank, but we find ourselves in that place, and Peter gives a great reminder to us here of what to do. He doesn't give a sermon. He doesn't start throwing Bible verses at them in order to comfort them, but no, Peter knelt down and he prayed. And as we'll see, the Lord answered Peter's prayer and clued him into a great work he was going to do in the midst of this overwhelming grief. Verse 40, but Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Now, Peter, like I said, he's maybe sort of showing us what to do when we find ourselves in a difficult situation. But I'm thinking at least some of you are probably thinking right now, you know, I haven't raised anyone from the dead in at least three or four months. Now, of course, the truth here is it was not Peter who raised Dorcas from the dead. When Peter prayed, I don't believe he was feeling his faith oats and that he thought, I'm going to go for a home run here. I'm going for a grandson. I'm going to ask the Lord to raise her from the dead. I don't think that's what happened. I think Peter was at a loss. I think he was seeking the Lord's guidance. And Lord, how do I minister in this situation? And he's thinking, God, what are you doing here? How does, how do you wish for me to love on these people? And I believe that the Lord revealed to him 
what he was going to do. I believe the Lord spoke to Peter and clued him in that I am going to restore this beautiful servant to life. And I think that word from the Lord gave Peter the faith and the strength he needed to then believe that and be part of what God was doing and to get in line with what God was doing in this situation. Now, in verse 43, Luke zooms out a bit, and he gives us a quick look at the bigger picture of how God allowed Dorcas's death to occur in order to position Peter in Joppa and to strengthen Peter's faith for what was coming next. Now, after raising Tabitha, Dorcas, we read that Peter stays on for many days in the house of Simon the Tanner. Now, if Joppa is sounding familiar and now Simon the Tanner sounds familiar, look forward into Acts chapter 10 and you'll see a beautiful story of what takes place there. But that is where Peter finds himself on a rooftop at Simon's house. And the Lord, through this powerful vision, calls Peter to take the gospel of grace to a Gentile named Cornelius. Now, this would be incredibly difficult for Peter. Peter is a lifelong Orthodox Jew, and God was deepening his faith through the raising of, of Dorcas and also through positioning him here and giving him this vision. Those things were necessary because Peter, for his whole life, had looked at Gentiles and felt they were unclean. He felt they were people to be avoided. He felt they were people that God did not wish to bless. And now God is calling him to take the gospel to Cornelius, a Gentile. So remember, Peter, he was in Lydda. That's where he was on his tour. He wasn't in Joppa. But God had used the passing of this beautiful servant, this quiet servant, to then reposition this apostle in Joppa and then use it as a launching pad for the gospel to be taken to the Gentiles. So Dorcas's simple, quiet life of service to the widows of Joppa, it played an integral, central role in God's plan to bring his salvation to the whole world. You just, you never, never know what God wants to do when he calls you to whatever it might be, no matter how quiet. Now, as we zoom back into the text and we look at what took place in the upper room when the Lord raised Dorcas from the dead, we'll see in verse 42 that the effect on the people of Joppa was huge as well. And it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. So God had used Dorcas, this seemingly simple ministry. He'd used it as a foundation from which to reach many people with the gospel of Christ. And this, this raises a question in my mind as I look at this text, as we consider this passage, because this is one of the rare occurrences. It does happen in Scripture, but there's not a whole lot of examples where, where God raises people from the dead. And so I, I wonder, why did God choose Dorcas to raise? Why didn't he choose a bold witness like Stephen, who had been stoned to death for his witness of Christ? Why didn't he raise him? I have no idea. I don't know. But I do know, based on the limited information, and I'm going to hazard, a, hopefully it's a sanctified guess, 
what God didn't raise Dorcas for. I'm going to guess that he didn't raise her to write a book of her experiences, put together a tape series, and go on a tour to tell people about her life experience. No, I believe, I really do, that when Dorcas rose from the dead, once she recovered, got back on her feet, I believe she went right back to clothing those widows and serving the needy in her town. Now, it's been over 20 years since Karen and I, we went through a two-year period where we lost three of our parents. And it was just sort of this painful season that we went through. But over 20 years later, I can still see a stream of Dorcas's coming through our life. And these were precious brothers and sisters in Christ. They filled our freezer with food. They helped out at the funerals. They served at receptions. They cleaned our house. And they did all these things so we wouldn't <clears throat> have to worry about it. So these simple acts of service had a profound impact. They freed Karen and I to say goodbye to our parents and to, to take the time to grieve. And we saw Jesus in those brothers and sisters ministering to us just as the Lord was showing himself through Dorcas as she ministered to those widows. As we saw earlier, back in verse 36, Luke identified Dorcas as a disciple. She was a follower of Jesus Christ. And the text doesn't tell us when she was converted. We don't know if she had seen Jesus during his earthly ministry or if she had not heard the good news till after he had ascended to the Father. We just don't know. But we do know that when she heard the gospel of grace, she believed when she heard the gospel that Jesus Christ, God the Son, had taken on human flesh and visited this planet some 2,000 years ago. That he had died on the cross for her sin and that he rose from the dead on the third day. That he had spent 40 days making appearances to over 500 people, people that would be witnesses to the reality of his resurrection. And that after those 40 days, he had ascended to the highest heaven where he is even now. He's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding in prayer for all those who have believed and embraced Christ as their Lord. Luke tells us Dorcas is a disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus, so we can know that when she heard the good news, she believed and she embraced it. Yet when God raised her from the dead in that upper room in Joppa, it was so much more than a miraculous event that affected Dorcas and her close friends. It was a beautiful picture of a future reality that awaits every one of us, every one of us who are in Christ, every one of us who has believed and embraced Jesus Christ and his gospel. If you are in Christ, if he is your Lord and Savior, listen to what John tells us in his gospel. For this is the will of my Father, 
that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So in closing, let's um, again read the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Our Lord sees it all, no matter how little, and he notices when we serve him in quiet ways, in ways that many do not see, such as giving food to the hungry, reaching out to a lonely neighbor, clothing the naked, caring for a sick child, a sick friend. The list goes on and on. You can fill in the blanks. Jesus saw everything Dorcas did for him, and he sees what we do for him as well, whether anyone else notices or not. Now, it's interesting in the scriptures, we find no record of Dorcas leading a Bible study, no record of her starting a church, there's no hints that she may have earned her doctorate in theology. But what we do know from the text is that this sister of ours was gifted with a needle and thread. And she put that gift to great use in the service of her Lord. Simple life of obedience, it can bear much eternal fruit. Dorcas had made clothing for the widows of Joppa. What a beautiful servant she was. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that through your scriptures, you offer us this front row seat in that upper room so many years ago in Joppa. Father, we just are in awe of your majesty, in awe of your power, in awe of all you are, Lord, and we're so thankful for your grace and your love and your truth. Lord, I pray what we looked at today that you would take those words and those truths and give them a, a, a deep place in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.